warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. It's Real Britannia, a very British podcast about very British movies with just a hint, yes, the merest hint of professionalism. Scott here with me is my friend and my co-host, Stephen. How's that professionalism grabbing you, mate? Okay. Well, it's the uh, standard I expect, shall we say. <laughs> you think we'd have learnt to have run with this by now. It's, it's four years, isn't it? Three, three years? Who knows? I'm losing track of where we are on this. We're heading rapidly towards episode 100 as well. Do you realise that? Absolutely, yeah, and you know, obviously, uh, at some point, we'll have to make a decision what we're going to do as a, a film, <laughs> rather than um, rather than mull it over and mull it over, and then come to a decision about um, two days before. Do you know what? Something has just hit me. You just saying that we had a conversation off air literally seconds ago about what our next movie was going to be with our friend Anthony, and it's just suddenly we were racking our brains literally, weren't we, for five minutes trying to work out what we decided? Yeah. Anthony had picked the third man. Of course he had. Yes, and we were going to save that for episode 100. Do you remember? It's all suddenly yes. come flooding back to me. <laughs> and I, I knew we'd said something, but I just couldn't remember what it was. And I thought, you know, this is why I write things down usually. I couldn't find where I'd written it down. Oh, dear. Right. That's, right. Is it is, is the fact that we're not recording as regularly as we were? We're not talking to each other as much as we used to? Lockdown has got to everybody. It's addled our brains, mate. Uh, yeah, and I think we're, you know... Me and you are both in the um, the situation where we're, we're still working um, yes. and have been all the way through this. Mm. So obviously for, for us, it, it's a different kind of busy. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of these factors have, have come into play and it's <laughs> why we, we both jointly drew a blank on, on that one and knew that we were wanting to record again with him, you know, in the, in the near future. But for the life of us, we couldn't Not remember, remember what, what we said. Was- now, now, usually you, you'd throw in some comment about it being my age, but you was equally yes, to blame. Yes, not time, no. You were no, equally I'm, to I'm blame. co-conspirator on this one. I'm <laughs> equally guilty, yeah. Uh-huh. Talking of addled brains, the butcher boy. Yeah. How did that work out <laughs> oh, for you? All I'm going to say at the moment is that when you mentioned it, you know, last episode, one, I don't think I'd actually seen the movie. I was actually aware of it either. Two, therefore it's going to be a first-time watch for me. And three, I went in completely blind. No synopsis, no trailer. All I knew was that it featured Stephen Rare and Fiona Shaw. And I need to know what your history of this is in a second when we get to the review and what you thought of it and why you chose it. Because let me just say... It wasn't what I was expecting at all. I think even if you'd had some kind of coaching towards what the film was, you'd still find out it wasn't what you expected. No. It's not a, a, a film that's easy to categorise or explain or no. even free, I suppose, warn the people only, about, I suppose is the word. No, um, the only word I can use, and I've seen it described, I think, on Letterboxd or IMDb or somewhere, someone described it as a tragicomedy. 
Yes. Um, that's part of it, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's. I'll tell you what, let's play the really, trailer. Yeah. Let, yeah. <laughs> Gather our thoughts and try and make something of what we've watched over the last hour and a half. Here's the trailer. We'll be back after this. From the director of The Crying Game, an interview with a vampire, Neil Jordan's best movie yet, The Butcher Boy is destined to be one of the best movies of 1998. Vital and original, a keenly felt, startlingly dark comedy. I was only a lad when I became known on account of what I'd done. Known forever as the notorious Francie Brady. Francie Brady, the Butcher Boy. We're all gathered here to pray for the redemption of Francis Brady. What's this world coming to? And all those people like Mrs. Nugent, well, you knew they were no better than pigs. Pigs! Pigs! No better than a pig! Disgusting fight! In a blink of an eye, I was off on me travels. Away from Ma, God bless her heart. Away from Da. They loved me to meet some. Francie. I want you to tell me now the worst thing you ever done. I did nothing bad. Quick, around the back. No boy is so bad that you can't find a scrap of goodness in him. From the internationally acclaimed award-winning novel by Patrick McCabe comes a story of innocence undone. Fantasies unbound and imagination run wild. some men look back upon their youth it's hard for them to remember when I look back upon it it's harder to forget there we go that's The Butcher Boy released in the UK 20th of February 1998 directed by Neil Jordan written by Patrick McKay based on his novel starring as we said Stephen Rea Fiona Shaw and a stunning performance by young Eamon Owens. Your choice this week, Stephen, mate. What's the synopsis, if we can sort of get our heads around it? In 1960s Ireland, Francie Brady lives a playful, fantasy-filled childhood of a normal boy, despite having a violent alcoholic father and a manic-depressive suicidal mother. Set against a backdrop of alcoholism, bullying, child abuse, domestic violence, mental illness, murder, suicide and the transience of childhood friendships, as well as the fear of aliens, communists and the atomic apocalypse, the pressure grows on Francis' sanity. And it is a comedy. It is. Very dark, though. Could you imagine my reaction to this movie, not knowing what you've just read out, and then witnessing all of this unfold in like an hour and 40 minutes? I mean... As marvellous as your synopsis was, can you just first of all, mate, just flesh it out a little bit? Because that is, it's not vague, it's just intriguing. If if somebody else doesn't know anything about this movie like I did, they're going to think, 
what on earth did these two just watch? I mean, put some, put some flesh on the bones of that, mate. Just tell us a bit more about Francie and, and his mother, his father, the, the, the priests and everything that goes on in this. Well, Francie starts out, as you say, it's, you know, it's the usual boyhood of the 60s where he's, you know, his comic books and watching the Lone Ranger on television and, and then, you know, from a sideline, innocently watching his um, parents um, have social gatherings where obviously uh, with rural Ireland, there's plenty of, of drinking and dancing and singing going on and the church involved in things. And it, it, it seems like, you know, it's a just a typical story of what would be the, the case there. But because of the the darkness in his, his you know parental uh, background and then his own obviously um grip upon reality loosening it's narrated all the way through by Stephen Rea uh, as the adult Francie yes um which is um a, a, a bit of a different take on things um in a way and it is kind of not just narrating as in saying oh in some, you know, in this time frame, this happened, or you know, this time, you know, he's actually the he's also the voice in this in in the young lad's head. He's having conversations um, with yeah. with the with the child on the screen. Yeah, in, yeah, yeah, and he's you know he's you know it's like almost a a television announcer at certain points, you know, announcing this character and and as you say, having a, a conversation in internal dialogue uh, with himself, which relates to what's going on around, and it it, it all the way through, it's kind of that childish look on what's going on um, as things are unraveling around him and his own sanity is un- unraveling, his perspective on his sanity unraveling, rather than you seeing it just from the outside, which would be a lot darker, because um, we see that in many films, we see somebody gradually losing it and um, becoming violent and um, unpredictable and you know vicious sometimes in their behaviour towards other people. His internal monologue or, or you know, sometimes dialogue um <laughs> puts it in a different context and and that's where the comedy comes from because it's seeing it from the thing this unraveling which doesn't doesn't mean that some of the shocking scenes are any less shocking in, in a way because you know the, there is some incredibly uh dark scenes in it yes. um in a way but it doesn't leave you feeling broken by them or that that that's a ripple of, of darkness that you know continues to then affect the narrative in a way it's it's treated in a different way and i'm not saying it's treated lightheartedly because it is the the substance of the film and it is you know in a way actually i think he's very credible in a way of, of examining you know mental health and also the treatment of of mental health in in the, the 60s but it's it's written in such a way that there are lines in it that are just funny mm. that you can re- repeat i mean you know leaning over a stream and, and shouting um to the to the fish hey fish fuck off yes uh, or back off and and that you know that's the, the the quote you made to me about um the the, the tub of guinness um <laughs> calling a man a tub of guinness and it's um and because it's, it's quite balls out with the with the character he's mm. not He's not somebody who's who's hiding in an attic, sneaking out to to do this, uh, do anything that he does bad, or or anything. He's in the centre all the time, just just living the the, the life at three hundred miles an hour. Yeah. Um. And even when he's grabbed and taken into you know a boys' institution and, and things, he doesn't stop at that 
300 miles an hour. He goes to um, 400 miles an hour, if anything, yeah. doesn't it? And and it's a, and there's also a bit of it where he's the different people he's meeting. Although he's still the core him, he's he's kind of feeding into their madness as well a lot of the time. Yeah, the gardener in the 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 the, the boys' home where he's feeding into his <laughs> his criticism of, of of the the priests and stuff, um, and elsewhere when he's on the um, on the road traveling to Dublin and he's he's you know the the guy who's going on about um khrushchev and the russians and he's just uh, feeding into that and and agreeing with him and building upon what he's saying about about the russians and across the board you know his own insanity is actually in some way encouraging insanity in other people um and certainly some of the priest behavior might might be seen to be um taken taken further because he's almost interacting um with it innocently um, but that's not intentionally. But uh, how much of it intentionally when he's encouraging other people with their insanity with drinking and and um, the whole thing about um, the the Russians? I don't really don't know. I mean, you know, well, it's certainly his paranoia about one particular um, member of the community, the the the, the his nemesis, um, <laughs> is is a is great to see how that plays out and. You don't see any sign of her actually deserving any of them. No, not at all. It's, it's bullying to the nth degree, isn't it, as well? Yeah. And it's fair to say that every character has a quirk of some nature in this. There yeah. are no normal characters, for want of a better word. Each one has a little distinct quirk, as I say, to them, you know. And initially, when I first started watching this, and as you know, I went in blind... I didn't think this was a movie set in the 1960s. Okay, I just thought, okay, this is a flashback at the beginning and it's going to lead us up to possibly Stephen Ray as an adult in the 80s or whatever it may have been. I kind of did, but not only in, only in a tiny little um, only in a tiny little way. Yeah, but that's, for me, they hadn't seen uh, the movie. That's you know, what that's, I was that thinking. was the, mm. the sort of the three-minute epilogue yeah. rather, rather than that kicking in at, yeah. at, at 10 minute mark which you probably expected but for me it was an added bonus because i've now got a movie set in the 1960s which as you know is one of my favorite eras with regard to you know culture and music and, and everything that goes with it so i'm thinking oh this is good okay so we've got a movie that's now set back in the swinging 60s but it's taking a look at the swinging 60s in a country you know that i'm not familiar with you know those those events happening it didn't. The, the sixties didn't happen in the in the in the you know, rural island until somewhere in the nineties. <laughs> oh yeah, but uh, they've still got they've still got the same concerns as we say. You know, they're talking about the Russians, and you know, the Bay of Pigs is mentioned at one point, and they're watching the same TV shows. You can hear the music playing. You know, it's the same sort of rock and roll records from the early sixties in the background, and it was great. You know, that that bit really got to me. But going in blind, as I'm watching this character unfold, young Francie. Unravel. Unravel is probably a bloody good word, actually. I'm thinking, similar to when we spoke about Richard Burton recently in um, "Don't Look Back" in, in "Look Back in Anger," yeah, where I, I, I mentioned, you know, to modern day audiences, Richard Burton would be seen as mentally unwell. Yeah, there, there is something there in Richard Burton's personality and his character that nowadays would be diagnosed as something medical. And, of course, I'm watching young Francie thinking, this kid's got something wrong with him, not knowing where this is going to go. We're going to have to keep this spoiler free for the last 20 minutes mm. of the movie because it, although it touches on very, very dark 
subjects and subject matter throughout the movie, it gets as dark as hell in the last 20, in the last 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, and to watch him unravel, as you say, you, for me, watching it blind, I'm thinking, okay, I, I still don't know where this is going. I'm intrigued to find out where it's going to go. And what made it more of an interesting journey for me was these characters that he might only meet once, they may only appear in one scene, but each one has got its own distinct personality and its own thing that he bounces off of and takes advantage of a lot of the time as well. Um, absolutely marvellous. I'm, I'm, I'll give you my rating at some point towards the end. Mm. Uh, which, as you know, is usually based on my enjoyment of the movie, not, you know, the technical quality of the film. Um, and I think you'll be sort of pleasantly surprised as to what I say. But for me, I mean, okay, I knew Stephen Rear was in it, I knew Fiona Shaw was in it, but there's some great, well, not even cameos, but there's some great other character performances in here because Ian Hart, Uncle Allo, to yeah. see him. Um, Brendan Gleeson. Now, this must have been, what was this, 1997, 98. So it's about four or five years after Braveheart. So he's still fairly young in his career, Brendan Gleeson. And Milo O'Shea, as Father Sullivan, is still alive at this point. So Milo O'Shea is in this movie. Yeah. We, we will sort of touch on a few of these, but the, the one I want to mention, uh, and I think you did mention this to me when you said we were going to be doing this, Sinead O'Connor as the Virgin Mary. <laughs> Now, if, if anybody's in any doubt as to where this film... I'm like, you, you can't judge the tone of this movie. Even when you're no. watching it, you can't judge the tone of this movie. But Neil Jordan, when asked about why he cast Sinead O'Connor as the Virgin Mary, his simple answer was, oh, she looked like her. Yeah. <laughs> and she's quite a foul-mouthed Virgin Mary as well. Yeah. And, you know, obviously her own subsequent uh, life and um and issues with with mental health and also um, with her with religion yeah. um going from ripping up a picture of the pope to to be you know becoming almost a cardinal in this really weird subsect of catholicism and, mm. and weirdness any kind of foul mouthedness from her character it just it isn't really noticeable considering the you know that the that the, just the general tone of swearing uh, amongst She's the, quiet the, one. the rest yeah. of the cast yeah, yeah. She, you know there is a, a, a thing I think um, which was proved by the likes of Father Ted and stuff where swearing done in, in an Irish um, accent mm -hmm. um, tends to be more overlooked and seen as just natural cadence rather than actual yeah. swearing it's punctuation um, this, mm. yeah <laughs> whereas you know although I don't think there was a swear word that, swear word that came out of um, the, the cast member from Father Ted that did appear oh, in this. Oh, Hendlum was in it, wasn't he? Yes, yeah. that's right, yeah. Um, playing a, a, a different role to... Because this was during... I think this was this was done between the second and third series of Father Ted, I think. 97, sounds about yeah. right, yeah. yeah. But, um, but yeah, there's multiple people in this that are, you know, obviously fine performances throughout every every single individual, I mean, puts in a, a cracking performance, particularly the, the lead, like you say, um, Eamon Owens, who never acted before, this was his first film. Mm. That's a, a totally force in, in in anybody's acting career to have this, and it really you know carries the film. I think you know if you needed a, a, an actor 
that was able to do what he did and whether he's just got particular uh, I've not really seen him in anything else I don't know well I'll tell you what he was in after this he was in Angela's Ashes that's a cheery uh, film exactly and the Magdalene Sisters you know any any depressing Irish movie of the late 90s he was the child actor in it but from what I read I don't think he was actually from an acting school or drama school or anything like that he was cast and his brother also his younger brother appears in the film just on site by the casting director that spotted and, and him. And Joe as well, who mm. played his best friend in the yeah. film, was also from his, they were both from the same secondary school yeah. um, locally to the, to the, the, the filming. It's um, an incredible performance. You know, there's, there's, there's two types of child actor. I've said this before, mate. You know, you've got, you've got your, I don't know, um, Henry Thomas from E.T. or Ricky Schroeder from the champ level of child acting. Okay, faultless. And then you get, do you remember the kid in um, American Werewolf in London, in the zoo, who has his balloon stolen? That oh, mu- yeah. Mummy, a naked man came along and stole my balloons. Him. That's, that's the bottom level. Yeah. You know? But luckily, Eamon Owens is up there with the Ricky Schroeder's Henry Thomas level because faultless performance and probably quite a stressful performance for him because he's like a whirlwind throughout this there is no moment and no scene in this film where he's sitting down quiet apart from there's one little bit where the family are singing when uncle allo comes home and he's just watching the proceedings but he's just this whirlwind throughout the movie it's incredible performance from him and in virtually every scene. Mm, yeah, he, he does. He dominates the movie completely. You know, you get some child act, uh, actors and actresses who um, are pre- quite precocious and come across as a bit too forced and overplayed, mm. and you just go, no, I don't, I'm not, not buying that. Yeah. There are some that are just wooden reading lines and can stand difficult at, at younger ages, but then you've got some that are so in- incredible that you're just thinking, that, you know, there's a, only a a small percentage of adult actors that could do that kind of performance. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, I think it's noticeable that a lot of actors and actresses that start out doing these kind of things like his performance do seemingly burn out and don't, and because the intensity of the roles they keep go, going and doing, then they burn out and they don't end up having a, an entire career and vice versa. Some of the, the greatest actors and actresses that we've, we've had in, in that gritty performance level are ones that don't come to it until later on in life. Yeah. Um, there's not many that, that can keep that up all the way through uh, without either having to diverge into, you know, doing facile comedy roles to give themselves some light relief mm-hmm. or just taking a break entirely because yeah. it, it seems the intensity of it. And his performance, yeah, I mean, he's fantastic and I can't fault the, the despite there being faces that are put in there and one or two people that might be seen as being put in there because they're just Irish people that are, are known to the to the watching public, or mm. they're just a cameo role, like Sean Hughes being put in there as, as a psychiatrist for, yeah. for two minutes. I think that, you know, the performances are, are still all incredibly um, credible. A number of faces, if you know, that we know from um, all sorts of things um, over the years is just cropping up again. And some of them are your default Irishmen to having a film, and you're sort of counting <laughs> how many, you know, how many of these have been in Father Ted or been in, in something else. But yeah. um, I was surprised about that. <laughs> I was actually expecting when I went to go do the, um, the the Hall of Fame, I was expecting there to be some crossover with uh, Waking Ned. 
that, um, again, those... that's the sort of movie I was expecting, a sort of awaking Ned, commitments, Sing Street type, gentle Irish comedy, not this brainstorm of a movie that sort of, it, it, it uneased me, this movie, because I didn't know where it was going to go. And no, this is not a gentle comedy. This is mm. more um, strapping you onto the back, onto the the bonnet of the car, and um, driving yeah. full pelt through a, a forest. Oh, um, be prepared, listeners! If you haven't seen this movie, you know it's, it's it, it it wore me out. It really did. <laughs> it's not good a man of my age, do you know, to be submitted to something like that. Um, no. Talking of the Hall of Fame, I, I, yes. I doubt if there's many. Many hall botherers today, but let's let's jangle your keys. Let's take a walk up the path, mate. Let's have a look and see if there's anybody in there. Okay, the Village Hall of Fame. Now, Stephen is our curator. and Basically, it's here that we log anybody that's appeared on the show more than three times. They get inducted into the into the Hall of Fame. But as we've said on many occasions, this is only the real Britannia. We, we're not worthy enough to have a Hall of Fame. It's the Village Hall of Fame, which is, is almost quite suited for a movie of this nature as well, having a little Village Hall of Fame. So anybody there knocking on the door? Anybody inducted this week, mate? Nobody inducted. Mm. No, um, we've we've got only two people who were uh, previous appearances. So they're uh, uh, you know knocking on the door, as you put it. There's a guy called Tony Raw. Um, I think his surname is is yeah. pronounced R O H A R. Okay. Um, and he in the film played one of the 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 bogmen lunatics that was um, the bogmen. decided to, to to start playing. Um, <laughs> treating the chapel service in the in the asylum as has been a, a football match and he runs <laughs> down the middle kicking a, a, a ball he'll be recognized by some people as been in ricky gervais's tv series derrick oh, he, right. he played his long lost father um, and he's a familiar face from a number of, of things over the years because he's been acting for for several decades really mm. so he um, was previously in the long good friday Interesting. Was he probably yeah. one of the IRA guys at the beginning then? Yeah, I would yeah. imagine he must have been, yeah. And uh, then we've, we've got also on the on the list, which you've already mentioned his name, mm. um, is uh, we've got Michael uh, um, O'Shea. Um, Milo O'Shea. Milo O'Shea, yes, sorry. Yes. He's been in plenty of things that we've seen over the years just because he's just one of those... Oh, those yeah, we, a career-spanning decades, yes, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we've had him before in, in things and strangely enough, he, he won't be far off going into the, the Village Hall of Fame, I suspect, because he was in Theatre of Blood before. Yes. Um, he's in this. His next appearance on this podcast, um, in my prediction, mm-hmm. will be um, that he was in Carry On Cabby. He is. He is in Carry On Cabby, yes. So, so when <laughs> Carry On Cabby comes... Um, that we um, him stepping into the the hall, getting yeah. his picture on the wall in a wonky frame. Brilliant. Um, so, but other than that, no. I mean, um, obviously notable that we we've got a, you know, as I say a few people in there that you've already mentioned, and, yeah. and Stephen Rear, I imagine is somebody who will at some point um, 
be into the the Hall of Fame. Definitely, but strangely, yeah. strangely enough, not the first out of, of this cast. No, uh, um, Brendan Gleeson. Going back to what we always say, yeah, yeah. Brendan Gleeson as well. You know, the recognisable face to people elsewhere, and like you say, Ian Hart. There's yeah. any number of people in this who are recognisable to the public, but um, haven't yet had enough performances um no no to yeah on the show here i've, I've just yeah. seen a photo of the guy you mentioned earlier tony raw i'm sure he's the guy in the long good friday at the banger racing thing there's the bit where they meet the guys there and he gets the shotguns out and shoots him through the window definitely recognize his face now but yeah, yeah, that's Ardlow Hanlon may turn up at some point. It's, it's a strange one, this, isn't it? Because Eamon Owens, as I said, appeared in a couple of movies after this, but his career only lasted five or six years. Uh, 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 Sean uh, McGlinley. Just about to say, the policeman, he, was he? Was he the he, copper? I've yeah, seen him before. He, yeah, he, he, he cops up in a number of things. He's almost a professional um, Irishman in some respects. Braveheart, that that's people right, that are, yeah. um, that are, are, are brought round again and again and again yeah. uh, as it happens. So, um, And if we you know get around to doing some of the films like, like The Van uh, oh, and yeah. stuff like that, yeah. you know, a lot of these all flood back into the... the the, the list because they were already already in there as part of the the overall cast of of the Irish that just you know oh, reappears yeah. and reappears and reappears. I think the only surprise from this film really is you didn't have somebody like Colin Meaney. Never you know I was expecting him his face to pop up the first time I watched well, it. Well, is this um, is this Star Trek sort of time? Is he in Hollywood it, at it, this point? It, it could be that he was away on it. Yeah, mm. but he kept popping back to do Irish Irish yeah, films. But yeah, I mean, I, I saw this at the cinema, so I had this, I had an experience like you of wow, what the hell have I just, you know, and and not and and obviously in those days there was real no no real um, advance notice about what was coming on. I we relied on trailers, a, didn't we? That was it. Yeah, and mm. I, don't, I don't think I'd even mm. seen a trailer for it. I just went on it on on advice of whoever I was going out with at the time. Yeah, because it. it it was a Neil Jordan, and we we didn't know it was going to be the last ever Geffen film. No, uh, from that that film uh, production company. But I went in blind and and came out, you know, in into the dark, squinting um, into bright lights after having watched this, and was like, "What?" Um, and then decided, you know, yes, it it, it was something I, I felt compelled to go back to, and um, I mean, I think I've watched it. I've probably watched it four or five times overall. Let, um, let me ask you about that then, because obviously, as I say, my first time watch. How does it progress after watching it several times? I mean, obviously, you're going to get the same reaction on that first viewing with me. It's just a bit, whoa, this is a roller coaster. You know, like you said, you're hanging on for grim death and just hoping that, you know, we get to the end of this somehow because everything is being thrown at you at 100 miles an hour. Does it slow down a bit? Um, the second or the third watch does it did you manage to absorb a bit more and see some of the yeah. nuances in the performances and the yeah. language and, and what's going on yeah absolutely with every watch it it loses it loses a bit of the shock mm. element just yeah. because you, you, it's not not still there's shocking bits in it in a mm. way but there's it's not the same form of shock on the offset to that you are noticing more nuances in there and it does have an, uh, enough nuances in it to to be worthy of repeated watching and it's one of those that we've we've given examples of before where it's a film maybe not to go back to next week but to go back to in six months time or whatever and and you know you have 
progressive distance between watches to give you a bit more time um so you don't become over familiar with it but on the other side it 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 is a gift that keeps giving um (laughs) really and and it sounds in you know depending on how you describe it um and you know I can accept I might not be able to be uh, the, the most skilled at doing this, but <laughs> if you describe it well, yep. it's a film that sounds so intriguing that people feel they have to go and watch and, and will actually get something out of it. Unfortunately, um, it would be very easy to describe this badly and make it a film people would go, I don't want to go anywhere now. <laughs> we, that. We I mean, just the given... subject matter is just so dark. And... Well, yeah, we haven't given too much very away bad. in this review. We've We've... <laughs> I'd, I'd like people to have that same reaction that I had. That it's like they don't know where they're going to go on this movie. I think it's a great movie to watch blind. I think um, because I think I got so much more out of it. Because as I said, I was edge of the seat, just breathless almost, just trying to keep up with it. And at every scene or every every corner, it would go into a darker place. And I'm thinking, okay, but. Don't get put off by the darkness because, it's, as you said, it is a black comedy. There is humour that goes with it. And some of the very, very dark stuff is hilarious as well at the same time, depending on yes. your sense of humour. Blackest of black humour. Mm. I mean, you know, you, you, various things that carry on through the, the, the narrative to crop up again. Things that get said and they can, you know, they get re- referenced at the most obscure points when really it should be um, quite a, a, a dark and depressive and disconcerting point. And then there's just some silly thing that's said or, or, or referenced made to something else. Or sometimes, and sometimes that's in the voiceover, the way that the voiceover yeah. is characterising his otherworldly outlook, his fantasy outlook almost, yeah. of the way that he is trying to make sense of the world within his own sanity. Mm. And that lifts it to a different level, which, as you say, the shock is there. Part of me wonders what it'd be like to watch it without the voiceover. Um, and that see, would make it darker. I and think. it would make it, it would make it ten times darker. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, it might spoil the narrative a bit because some of the things actually, you know, it's not so much a narrative as a, in, in narration in the sense of telling you that what's happening in the story. It's more telling you what's going on in his head. That element totally shifts it and it's based upon a book which there was a struggle with you know to try and get the book into a way that could be filmed and then the the writer of the original book who was involved in the screenplay admitted he struggled and it was neil jordan coming in and actually um been involved in turning it into a screenplay um helped and i don't know whether that that was his part neil yeah. jordan coming in and giving the narrative bit to bridge the gap between the two because if the book is strongly based upon what's coming from the the boy's interpretation of the world you can't put that into how he's acting on screen you've got to have that in somewhere a voice in his head well there's a lovely quote on wikipedia of all things that patrick mccabe's accomplishment with the butcher boys was deemed unattainable in a film during the screenwriting process mccabe wrote two drafts that digressed so much from the original novel that Neil Jordan described it like planets within planets within planets. Jordan wrote the third draft that was more faithful to the novel, although the ending has changed apparently. And interestingly, McCabe, the author, is the town drunk, Jimmy the Sky. Yeah. That's him. So I didn't realise that until I've just read that here. So, yes, it looks like it was one of those novels that 
was deemed unfilmable, but but thank God for Neil Jordan, who managed to, to turn it around by the look of it and made it into something that they could present on the screen. With all this in mind, I mean, in my rating system, I'm only going to give it a three. Mm. Um, now, as you know, it's sort of based on how much I enjoy it out of five stars. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, but I had to work hard with this one. Yeah. But going in blind, as I've mentioned, it's... And I'd still recommend that to anybody. Try not to, to to see a trailer or to read too much of a synopsis. Just base your your first viewing on what we're saying. That you will be rewarded, and it's not a gentle Irish comedy. It's <laughs> is, is that a fair way of describing? That's, that's it? a bloody understatement. That is. Fuck me. But it's, um, but it's, it's not. It's not that shocking that you're going to be repulsed by it. It's not a gore film or it's not something that's that dark. You're going to like, oh God, I've got to switch that off. You, you will, you'll be watching it and, and chuckling away and sort of chuckling at yourself for laughing at the dark bits. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. To some extent that, although there's, you know, there is some bits of violence and, and stuff in it. I think that the, the thing that's most disconcerting and, and um, jarring is not that the scenes uh, like that. It's mm-hmm. it's the it's the the anarchy of this boy's mind yeah. um, of what's going on in his head and trying to keep up to some extent. I mean, there are some. It's not. It's you know. It's not like the film does go three hundred miles an hour because it's set in the the rural Irish countryside. So there's scenes of you know um, you know laid by the riverbank or mm. you know things like this and. And, and particularly scenes where he's doing stuff on his own, where you know he's walking around on his own and doing stuff. But yeah. but the the way it, you get to the end of it and you just think, right, what have I watched? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, what would that mean? Mm-hmm. And how should I feel about this? That's what um, I mean. It's, it's it's getting a three, based on the fact that I had to I had to work hard. I couldn't relax watching this film because. I didn't want to miss anything because, as, as we said, it was going at 100 miles an hour. So it's like, OK, OK, where where are we now? OK, so this is happening. And and, and looking back now with the benefit of you know, having a couple of days of hindsight, the things like the gentle unravelling of his mother's um, sanity is blindingly obvious now. But at the time when I'm watching the movie for the first time, it's just like quirky, as we've said before. But... Yeah. It's also now thinking back, it's like, wow, that's quite sad. That is very sad the way that that part of the story was depicted. Or, but I think, as you've said, it, it depicts how, at the time, these things weren't recognised with the, the, the modern view of, mm. of mental illness and behaviour and, and stuff. It captures, captures that different era and viewpoint. Mars going off to the garage. Yeah, to have a head screwed on, basically. That's that's yeah. how it's summed up. Which is she comes back and makes cakes. That's the bit that got me. That's the bit I was referring to. That that unraveling again, and without giving too much away, when he walks in and just asks Mum why there's a chair on the table, and looking back, you know, silly little, yeah. almost throwaway scenes. You drop your pills on the floor. Drop your pills on the floor. Yeah, I don't think they're working. You know, it's just gentle little nudges like that. I'll, I'll, I'll urge anybody to watch this. I mean, you saw it for the first time on the big screen. Is it a big screen movie? I'm, I'm going to guess not. It doesn't have to be. No. no. Um, and uh, subsequent watches, it does become 
it does become easier and less intense to to watch it and more more of a joy to watch it to be honest it, it, it you allow it to just be a, a almost not quite a joyful ride but you you in you know you can treat it in a different way than you experienced it first time around mm. and particularly with enjoying it as as a piece of filmmaking as well to be fair so it's something our, our as as usual the caveat it's not for everybody but i would encourage people to to go and and, and investigate it you know whether whatever where they can streaming service or whatever it's something that is to some extent lost and people don't know about it oh, it's, yeah. it's not yeah. a it's not a, a high profile film particularly not as high profile as some of neil jordan's other films Definitely. that he's done and you know there are a few on there that you know his cv that we're probably going to revisit i imagine yep. over over time yep. um mona lisa and such like but yeah. this is something i think that has a lot to give given the chance but do accept it might need a second watch to to fully appreciate Oh, I bet even on your fourth watch this time round, you, you still you, bitch, yeah, yeah, incredible. Okay, let's take a breath because it is a breathless movie <clears> for, for something that you think's not going to be. It, it took me totally by surprise. That's all I can say. It's the Butcher Boy from nineteen ninety seven. Let's take a short break. We'll be back after this. <laughs> Okay, Stephen, what we're watching next time is down to me, I believe. So I wanted to lighten the mood a little following the Butcher Boy. <laughs> <laughs> I had something in mind uh, originally, but it was going to be a fairly recent film. It was going to be a comedy, but I'm thinking, no, I'm going I'm to step back a few decades. And I also wanted to take the opportunity to focus a little on an actor that we have seriously overlooked over the past three years. Okay. I'm just going to drop some clues here. I'm not asking you to guess, but um, it's a film that will give you a little bit of work to do with regard to the Village Hall of Fame, I'm afraid, as it features, and this is just a, a snapshot, mate, it features Richard Attenborough, William Hartnell, Victor Madden, John the Measurer, amongst many, and there's also an uncredited appearance by the Duchess herself, Marianne Stone. Ah, oh, bless. So that's worth watching in itself, just because of Marianne Stone. But I'm not focusing on either any of these actors or actresses. There's one that we have criminally overlooked. It's back to 1956, and it's a movie starring Ian Carmichael. It's a Bolting Brothers movie. Oh, yes. yes, but the chap I wanted to focus on, you, you brought this up the other week and reminded yeah. me that we have not covered a Terry Thomas movie. Is that right? That's absolutely, absolutely true. And, um, and this... He's on my list, and it's probably, probably was going to be the first one I was going to suggest as we, a Terry Thomas film we visit. And so yeah. I'm so happy this is. Yeah, we're, we're going to do Private's Progress. And the reason I wanted to do Private's Progress because it's going to lead into things like the excellent I'm All Right Jack from 59, you know, because there is that sequence of Bolting Brothers movies that featured Peter Sellers, Ian Carmichael, Terry Thomas. In, in fact, I'm All Right Jack has got almost exactly the same cast 
Yes, uh, there was like a triptych almost, wasn't yeah. there? Yeah. So we'll try and do them in order. So let's get the ball rolling with this one. May need to, to mop up the Terry Thomas mess that, you know, we, we haven't cleared up. And also it's, it's just back to a good old-fashioned 1950s British comedy, The Bolton Brothers and a cast of thousands that everybody's going to recognise. Brilliant. Different absolutely kind of humour. Different kind of humour to the butcher yeah. boy. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely, absolutely, it is. And um, yes, we, you know, it's going to be an avalanche with the the Hall of Fame and etc. Do apologise. And, mm. and etc. No, it's fine. <laughs> but um, and John Bolton, obviously, you know, we regularly um, eulogise about about him. I think you know this is an, a, another point within British cinema where there were you know example of of a film that did sort of roll out and, and bring uh, something to the to this it wasn't just a, a another one in this uh, comedies out there that was put out there it's something that did actually hit a mark higher than the the, oh, the average yes. Oh, yes. um and they managed to actually capitalize upon that so um yeah it's um it, it's it's you know great shout and i'm, I'm really happy that you've um you've You've taken us to it. Mm. It's it's not comedy as well. It's it's also social commentary as well. When you look at the, the three yeah. movies this as is well, why it's the test of time. Better, yeah. I think. You know, we're looking at you know the military side of things. When we get to I'm all right, Jack, you will be in your element when it comes to that one. Yeah, and I'm I'm just looking forward to, it. and I'm hoping that we could get all three covered pretty sharpish actually. So, you know, I'd like to do them all pr- pretty you know in sequence very quickly. So let's see how we go. But that's going to be the next one. It's Private's Progress from 1956 Stephen thank you well I'm going to say thank you for the butcher boy I'm not sure if I want to thank you or not because I'm still not too sure how I feel about it Uh, I will highly recommend it to anybody just to give it a go give it a go because you will be rewarded in one way or another that's that's the only thing I can say it's it's obviously a favourite of yours because you've watched it four times now I'm going to give it another go in a year or so possibly and then just see if my opinion changes which i'm sure it will that will go up a notch as we've said many times before but no thanks for that today mate glad you could you could take it on board and and you're seeing that there's a, a there's something to revisit with it as well as a a future um thing in your your yeah. library yeah definitely um, so that's good okay this has been real britannia it's going to be private's progress next time i've been scott he's been Stephen. thank you very much mate see you very soon take care take care Good luck. Thank you.
bring the British end up, sir. Ha, ha, ha.